Yo, and welcome in to week two of pre-gaming the SEC. Jacob Hester, Chris Doring, the Big Terp. We are back, and my goodness, we have a lot to get to. We had a chaotic week one, which is just the way we love it, unless your team gets an extra point blocked, but we'll get to that a little bit later on in the show. My man, Chris Doring. He was on the call for South Carolina and Georgia State looking as handsome as ever. My goodness, oh. what a call it was. I mean, I was into the game because of my man Chris Doring and the analyst he was giving us. I don't know about that. I mean, I do know that it was a better game than I drew last year when Eastern Illinois traveled to Columbia to kick off the season against the Gamecocks. But uh, I honestly believed that that was going to be a four-quarter game. And, and I guess credit goes to uh, Shane Beamer's defense particularly. Uh, we'll talk a lot about what the special teams did, but uh, from the defensive perspective, I thought they were much improved. Yeah. Uh, even though the run numbers, you know, last year, I think two years ago, they averaged giving up 195 yards on the ground. Last year, it was 175 yards. Georgia State went over 200. But with that offense and what they typically do, I, I think it was a win and uh, forced Granger to have to throw the football more than he typically can and, and would have liked to have. So uh, I thought it was a, a pretty good performance in two out of the three phases. And we'll get into that third phase as the show goes on. Oh, absolutely. We will, because there's some teams that thrived in that third phase. There's some that crumbled in that third phase. So we will certainly get to that throughout the show. We're excited about today's show because we've got, as I mentioned, a loaded slate to get to, but before we get there, we are going to give a new segment. It is hold my beer. Okay, those moments that were splashy, that jumped off the page to us, good or bad. Look, we all know, like, it can be a bad moment when we say, hey, hold my beer real quick. It can be a great moment when you ask your partner to hold your beer. So I'll start this thing off, and Stetson Bennett, you passed your beer to a lot of people because you got a haircut, you got faded up, you put on a gold chain, and my goodness, you went out there and you thrived. 25 of 31, 368, two touchdowns. Also had a rushing touchdown on a really nice play design by Todd Munkin. My first hold my beer of all time has to be Stetson Bennett. The job that he did, he looked like a new man. He looked like yeah. someone with as much confidence as you'll find on a football field CD and if he plays like that, with that confidence, with that defense, with those weapons that they have on offense and defense and special teams, good luck beating the Bulldogs this year. I'm glad you mentioned Stetson because that's one that I wanted to make sure we talked about today. Obviously, a soft spot in my heart for him being a, a fellow former walk-on, uh, knowing what it's like to have to overcome some of the challenges. And even after winning a national championship, your, your own fan base trying to replace you with somebody that may be higher rated or more sexy in terms of, of what they offer from a skill set set for perspective. But I thought the command that he had, the confidence that he had, the poise that he had, that, that one scramble where he ended up, you know, uh, throwing the, the touchdown to lab McConkey after running all over the field, Johnny Manziel like moment there. I just, I think spoke to the athleticism that he has and also the, uh, the, the calm you know, kind of in the, in the uh, heat of the battle that, that he possesses. So, very happy for him, and and uh, like you said, this offense, this team can be big time. Uh, you know, to all three phases, if you can get that kind of production from your offense. And I love that Todd Monkey was not afraid. It wasn't like they were hiding anything or playing to the defense. It was one unit playing really aggressively, while the other yeah. unit was also doing their thing. So I, I like that. 
for me, I'm going to stay close to home. Everybody knows Anthony Richardson made, made that splash this weekend. I, I said it, Hester, on a couple different shows this week, but I was shocked. And the reason I was shocked by the offensive performance and his specifically was because I had been at practice multiple times throughout the preseason. And it was my fault for not understanding the difference between a scrimmage and a game when you're playing the quarterback position, the style of quarterback that he plays. You can't simulate what he does in practice because you're going to blow the whistle as soon as anybody gets close to your quarterback. But what he does is extend plays. What he does is getting out of jams. What he does is making it impossible for people to tackle him in one-on-one opportunities. Uh, It it looks to me has like he's playing at like one and a half times the speed that everybody else on the field is playing. When you turn the tape on, Uh, it's a lot of fun to watch. And I like the way that um, that he was utilized in wanting the ball in his hands in the most important moments of that game. Yeah, we saw him flash last year, but it was in spurts because Emory Jones was the starter. But we saw it. I think we saw enough to be excited about what he could do this year. And I think this offense with Billy Napier, it just fits better with that skill set that Anthony Richardson has. We can go back and you can look at Louisiana Lafayette's quarterback production. And obviously, like, in the same mold, but not near the athlete, not near the talent that Anthony Richardson is. And they thrived. And so you knew he was going to have opportunities to thrive. And he did it in week one against a really stout defense that returned a bulk of their starters from the Pac-12 championship. Yeah, and I thought the game plan, the way they utilized him was awesome as well. I mean, they kept it fairly simple. You know, a lot of lot of zone, a lot of uh, zone read stuff that they were able to allow him to, to pull the ball on. Um, you know, the passing game, they weren't taking a bunch of shots. They took one shot on a double move that they missed on. And they had another shot play called on an over route with a pylon over the top that he actually tucked it and ran with for that 45 yard touchdown down the opposite sideline. So their plan is much like, much like the NFL. It's a, let's stay ahead of the chains. Let's not leave ourselves in in third and long situations. And, uh, if we need to go for it on fourth down, we will, they converted four fourth down, uh, tries on, on Saturday night. And, um, you know, I think the other the, the byproduct of that, Hester, is that you, you keep the ball out of the opposing offense's hands. Florida's defense is not what it needs to be. They made some stops. They stood up when they needed yeah. to. But I think they're going to continue to play that type, type of ball control offense, which I think fits very well with the skill set of these players and minimizing the weaknesses of your team. Yeah, we'll certainly talk more about the Florida defense later on in the show. But as we mentioned, like, hold my beer can be a good thing right? You want to go, Hey, hold my beer. I'm going to go check out this amazing performance. It can also be, Hey, hold my beer. I've got to go yell at someone. And so my second hold my beer is me going to yell at someone. And it is the LSU special teams unit. You had two muff punts. You had a shanked punt. You had a 15 yard personal foul. You had a blocked field goal. You had a field goal that you made that very easily could have been blocked. And you had the game tying as time expired, extra point blocked because the wing young football player, Mason Taylor is going to be a stud in purple and gold, but he did the one thing CD that you can never do. And I played the position at LSU. I played the position for the San Diego chargers, the wing position. You never step out. You always step in. You protect your inside. You help your tight end out when you're at wing with your inside hand, and you don't allow. Because when you're rushing the passer, what's the easiest way to get to the quarterback? Inside. You never give up your inside if you're protecting the quarterback. It's the same thing at wing. If if you're set up the way you're supposed to, 
and you go through the mechanics like you're supposed to, the we or the the edge rusher, the guy on the end of the line of scrimmage would have to be perfect. He would have to jump the snap. He would have to have incredible body lean. He would have to lay out. He would have to have perfect hand placement to block the kick. Right. So when that happens, it's like one out of a hundred. You know what you do? You tip your cap to the other sideline and you move on. You can't allow the rusher to come free from the inside. It is day one install. And I had an NFL special teams coordinator write me and said, that is seventh grade day one install. That was his quote, right? Yeah. And you know that Brian Polian, who's been in this game, been a head coach at Nevada and other places, has never taught the wing to step outside first. It's always inside. So it was a mistake by a young football player, again, who's going to be special in purple and gold on offense. It was a mistake. It happened multiple times in the game. That unit never looked like they were in sync. And you allowed this epic comeback, a game that really, look, you you probably shouldn't have had any business being back in, but hey, that's the way the football gods work. You find your way back into it, and CD, you allow the extra point to be blocked. You lose 24 to 23. You know me. You were a core special teams guy in the NFL. It's a phase of football. It's as important as the first and the second phase of football. I have been on an NFL team that had the number one offense and the number one defense in all of the NFL. Both offense has never happened before, but we had 32nd ranked special teams. We did make the playoffs. It is a phase that is as important as any other part of football. LSU did not take full advantage of their opportunities that Florida state gave them late in that game. And you were holding my beer because I'm about to turn red. I'm so mad right now talking Uh, about extra point protection. I think in another usage of the, the phrase, hold my beer, it was like one guy one upping the mistake that another guy would make. All right, here, I'm going to make a worse mistake than you did. So uh, the special teams obviously were bad with the muffs and the block, you know, attempts and the field goal extra point game. But just the, the thing that surprised me the most about, I, I genuinely thought that, Hey, this is a talented roster that's inherited by this coaching staff. And with Brian Kelly's attention to detail and leadership, they're going to play better just because they're going to play as one team or as I thought they were fractured in a lot of ways last year the mistakes that they made whether we're talking about penalties down in the red zone we're talking about receivers not looking for the ball we're talking about you know having to take a timeout coming off the sideline like it was just one mistake after the other which really surprised me because I thought that was one area that we could we could depend on you know the team doing well because of the the leadership of Brian Kelly all right. So, so real quick, you, you said something there, like the timeout after a change of possession. Those are things that I didn't expect either. Like I thought that would be the one thing that without question was going to be from game one until the, the, the very last game of the season was going to look like we've always seen it look with BK at the helm. And now they've got to, they got to find a way to change that, get that fixed because that's been a problem for LSU over the last couple of years. But one of the things that we might not have time today to get into is Kayshawn Booty and a lot of people. Okay, so I know he looked frustrated. The body language didn't look great. And then the next play, you're not looking for a pass. It hits you right in the thigh. A lot of people are like, that should have been a touchdown. I, a little bit of me, maybe it's the former player. I want to defend him real quick. That was quarters coverage on that side, right? They were playing some kind of a man on the other side. It was quarters on the bottom of the screen, so the back side of the or the front side, actually, because you had the tight end with you. Okay, to beat quarters coverage, a lot of times you'll run double posts. You'll run something that get that gets the attention of the safety because, as you know, CD, like he's got number two. He's got the inside receiver. That's the where his eyes are. From the, the second receiver. Right. Yeah. Now, if if that number two quickly has a drag or he has an out, well, he 
throws his eyes to number one. That is his responsibility in quarters coverage. LSU had Kayshawn and they had a tight end. The tight end did a quick drag, shallow route, whatever you want to call it. So the safety, his eyes go immediately to number one because it's quarters coverage. Yeah. And the, you know, 99% of the time, the quarterback's not going there because of I, the coverage. I know what you're saying. I understand what you're saying. Like the ball shouldn't have been thrown, but as a receiver, you're live on every single play, whether you're clearing out, whether you're trying to, you know, help somebody else get open, whether you should be dead. That ball shouldn't go there with the safety on the hash. I agree with you 100%, but you have to get your eyes around just in case something like that happens. You know, sometimes you have to make a play in a scenario no, you, that's no, you're, you're, not drawn you're up right, but ideally. I'm, no, you're you're exactly right, but it it is a play that he's definitely not expecting. I agree with you. Like you got to find a way, like get your head around because you just you don't know. But that that's kind of that situation, and I kind of broke it down today, and I didn't really know because I'm looking at the back side of the coverage and front side of the coverage, and Florida State. As soon as that drag went, the safety did. He was a little bit late, so Jaden was able to fit it in there. But there was a couple of times there was a different. Uh, they brought zero pressure one time, and, and it was out of um a third nine situation and they didn't have a hot route attached to it. Kayshawn was in the slot. He should have just ran the glance. Instead, he had a, he had a, a whip, a pivot, whatever you call it in your offense route. And he never even glanced off of the pressure. So that tells me like it wasn't built in. And yeah. Brian Kelly did mention that, you know, it's something they needed to adjust to faster quarterback and, and the entire, like the process of that information. And so we'll see, look, moving forward, Kayshawn obviously going to have a lot of eyeballs on him. No doubt. I think um, a lot of attention made from what somebody's social media profile looks like. Uh, hopefully that is not uh, something that's a precursor for what's to come. But uh, the guy's an amazing talent. I just hope that he's able to uh, have the kind of year coming off of that injury last year that, that we, we, uh, we think he deserves to have. All right, you've got one more uh, to throw out before we get to our next Yeah, my segment. final one, I'm staying with Florida um, here because it was the biggest win of the, the weekend. And maybe the most unlikely in the conference, but I, I want to give props to, uh, to, to Billy Napier. You know, that was a, an interesting time last December w- with you and I coming from our respective fan bases, talking about, you know, who are our, our programs we're going to hire with Billy Napier, having been under the nose of uh, LSU. A lot of people felt like they may have made a mistake and uh, you know, time will tell on that, but I'm very happy with the guy that we got at Florida. I look at, at what he did from the time that he took over, you know, most of the time when you have a coaching change, you see mass exodus in the transfer portal. You did not see that at Florida. You saw a couple of guys, but the majority of them yeah. bought into the vision that, that Billy Napier was selling for what was possible for them as individuals and the team as a whole. And that has to do with his authenticity. I, I think you can sense when a guy's real. You and I know this being in the locker room. You sense when a, a coach is, is real and when one's just trying to, to play the part. Billy Napier is as real as they come. And I think the thing where I noticed it on Saturday of, of, of the team taking on the personality is when things went ra- wrong, inevitably things are going to go wrong in every single ball game. How do you react when things go wrong? Last year, it was hanging your head. It was taking a defeatist attitude. It was capitulation in some situations. This year it was, hey, I'm going back to fight back. We're going to answer every time we, we need to put a score on the board. We're going to do it. Even though we give up some yards, we're going to make a stop defensively. Had a couple of nice red zone stops down there in that game. That's where I saw his personality manifested the most was what they ended up, you know, the, the, the overall fight and resiliency that I saw on the team on Saturday night. 
Capitula what? What are the Capitulation, big you words like you trying to use over here? Dude, you know I'm a meathead. You got me going cross-eyed <laughs> over here trying to figure out what you're just talking about. Say Quit, that again. Quitting. Capitulation is just quitting, oh, okay. you know, giving up. Capitulation. And, I'm going to use that tomorrow with T-Bob. I'm going to see if he, yeah. if he gives me credit for it. I'm <laughs> going to need you to send it to me in a text, though, and spell it out. I'll put it in, a, a, uh, in a, a contextual way in a sentence. Yes, thank so you. you can, yeah. <laughs> and, and also like the, the pronunciation of it for your boy like just help me yeah. out i'm going to use that in part a of speech tomorrow. the whole yeah. all full spelling bee for you bro <laughs> hey and i agree with you on billy napier you know as soon as florida hired him and, and leading into florida hiring him i told you what i thought about billy napier i was extremely high on yeah. billy napier i think he's a hell of a football coach he's done it too many times too many places he had an opportunity to leave louisiana lafayette didn't do it because he didn't want to leave just to leave he wanted to do it for the right situation Florida is that situation, and they've got a big one that we're going to get into this weekend. All right, it is now time to welcome our third member of the pregame in the SEC team onto the show, Big Terp. What's going on? How you doing? What we got? I'm good. I'm good. Before we move on to our next new segment, I want to give a quick hold my beer shout out to the Arkansas Razorbacks, KJ Jefferson and Sam Pittman, because in a game that they needed to win on the national stage in week one, six minutes on the clock. Seven-point lead. What do they do? They ice it. K.J. Jefferson runs for uh, two first downs on third downs. And then after the game, Sam Pittman quite literally holding the beer says, I'm going to go get me an old cold beer. I'm glad that you brought that up, Big Turp, because uh, every offense's goal is to end the game in a a victory formation, being able to run the clock out. It's the ultimate alpha move in football. Right? Nobody nobody takes better – pride in finishing in a four-minute situation than offensive line, right? The offensive line coach the, in Sam Pittman, his beginnings, I know he had to be beaming over there on the sideline just thinking it, being able to uh, to shut it down like that. It's like a, a closer coming in and, and baseball, bringing your guy off the out of the bullpen and being able to shut down the opposition in the ninth inning. All right, but our newest segment here is last call. This is last call for week one takeaways. And don't worry, normally last call, they turn the lights on, they get you out of there pretty quick. We are going to go through all 14 teams here before we start pregame in week two. But what this is going to be is just a quick, succinct, here's what we know about each team after week one. And we'll start with those teams that played on Thursday night. We'll go with the Vols, who won 59-10 over Ball State. But last call for week one, start with you, CD. What do we know about the Vols? Hendon Hooker is an absolute Heisman Trophy candidate. He, he picked up where he left off last year. They went right down the field with great rhythm, distributed the football to eight different receivers in the first half. Hendon Hooker should be, at the end of the year, in New York for the Heisman celebration, Hess. For me, they're fast and they're for real. That's my big takeaway for Tennessee, man. They go and they play tempo, and Hendon Hooker just runs that offense so effectively and efficiently they are fast to the ball they're fast with their skill players and they are a team that we are going to see so i walked away from this just knowing that when you play tennessee you better get some extra uh 110s in during practice that week because you're going to need some endurance because not only do they go fast but they've got the endurance to do it like it doesn't tail off at all they can do it the entire 60 minutes which nobody else really can do it like that. There's one thing to go fast, but there's another thing to to go fast and be able to execute at the highest level. They execute really, really well. It's not at the expense of, uh, you know, it's not going fast at the expense of being able to limit yourself and yeah. what you're able to do play calling wise or execution wise. 
All right, the other Thursday night game, Missouri, 52-24 winners over Louisiana Tech. Good first showing from Mizzou. We're going to actually get to see a little bit more of them. Kansas State this week. We'll talk about that a little bit later on in the show. But, Hess, one week in, what do we know about Eli Drinkwitz's team? They're going to have a point of emphasis to run the football. And I don't think we give enough credit for who they've had at running back over the last couple of years. I mean, when you look at the way that they ran the football last year, they want to run the ball. I, th- I think you see drink and you see like where he came from CD and you're just assuming, Oh, he's going to be, you know, a spread them out. He's going to be a 10 personnel, 11 personnel guy. And they're going to sling it all over the ballpark. That's not really who they are. Like they ran the ball 50 times against Louisiana tech for three twenty three. They showed it last year. They have shown it in their past. Even when drink wasn't there, they've had talented running backs, but certainly with drink there, There's going to be an emphasis to run the football. It is not the offense that you think it is, and they had a lot of success against Louisiana Tech doing so 50 rush attempts. Yeah, for me, it's the other side of the ball. And How many times did we talk last year about that defense being historically bad against the run? I thought that they were much improved on that side of the ball. They gave up 11 yards rushing total to Louisiana Tech. Uh, So clearly the the offseason emphasis – um, uh, obviously the change in coordinator, obviously, you know, upgrading and, and, and what they're doing from a, a personnel standpoint, um, a Tyron Hopper, the Florida transfer to, to Missouri was absolutely fantastic in, in every phase of, of what he was doing defensively. So I, I think we're talking about a team that can be much more competitive this year because of those things you mentioned on offense and because of the defense, not being as, as porous as what they were last year. All right, there's only one 2-0 team in this conference, boys. How about the Vanderbilt Commodores? Big one coming up this week against Wake Forest. We'll talk about that one later. Sam Hartman cleared to play. But Vanderbilt takes care of Elon, 42-31. We, we gave them the spotlight last week because they're the only week zero team. So they got a little bit hidden in the mix this week. But let's, let's talk some Vandy. CD, what do we know about them right now? What we know is that they're going to win an SEC ball game this year. You know, it's been a while since we've seen them win one within our league. But this team, one, they believe in themselves. And we heard that from all of the, their talk when they were in Atlanta at SEC media days. Two, they have a tremendous leader in Mike Wright that's not only, you know, a, a great face of the program, but an unbelievable athlete. And, and three, they have an offense. I mean, this is a, a, a team that can score points now. And in modern College football, especially here in the SEC, you have to be able to score some points. So I think I think this Vanderbilt team obviously is going to exceed the two and a half uh, posted win total that Vegas set for them, but they're going to win an SEC game or two this year, Hess. I agree with you, and I think that you started off with the right player. Mike Wright is a dude. He would be a dude on a lot of teams in this country. He's not just a dude because he's the best that Vanderbilt has to offer. He's going to win them a game, and he's going to win it because he imposes his will on the defense. He is going to will his team to victory. He had another huge stat line, 245 through the air, four touchdowns, runs for another 84 yards and two touchdowns. He is an athlete. I mean, he is as fast as anyone out there on that football field. Him alone, because we've seen it. You can have that special quarterback that maybe the rest of his guys aren't in the same class as their opponent, but he can take over a game and he can win it because of what he does by his individual self. You're going to have that for Vanderbilt this year. So for me, last call, Mike Wright is a absolute dude. I would briefly touch on this game because CD was on the call. Gamecocks 35-14 win over Georgia State. 
Williams Bryce was electric. We know that. But Hess, what do we know about South Carolina? We know the Beamer ball is real. It was real at Virginia Tech, obviously, when Shane's dad was winning games, blocking kicks, blocking punts. And I hate y'all know this about me. One of my biggest pet peeves is, yeah, but if they wouldn't have had this, if they wouldn't have had that, like when a running back breaks a 70 yard run, like, yeah, hey, you take that 70 yards away, man. We held him to 130 yards. It's like, <laughs> no, you can't do that. You can't yeah. take that away because it is a portion of the game. Like there is facets of this game that if you excel at, I don't care that other teams don't. It's what you do really well. So they're going to play elite special teams. That it, Look, Frank Beamer built a career off Beamer ball. That's what they did. You knew that you had to spend more time on special teams that week when you played Virginia Tech. You're going to have to know the same thing when you're playing South Carolina. So, yeah, we could talk quarterback. We could talk running back. We could talk receiver. We can talk all of that. But for me, Beamer ball is back, and it is in Columbia, South Carolina, and you're going to have to know when you play them, it is something that they thrive in. They are elite in, and it's going to be as important as offense and defense. Tess, I don't know if you were watching the South Carolina game when we had Frank Beamer up in the booth, but we were in the midst of interviewing him right at the time when South Carolina executed that fake field goal that picked him up a first down right around the, the two-yard line, ultimately led to a touchdown. He looks over at us and goes, Beamer ball. You know, it was like, couldn't have been a cooler <laughs> moment to have the guy who originated that phrase now describing what was happening in his son's game. So I uh, love the fact that I had a chance to, to be out there for that game. My, my, my takeaway here from, from South Carolina is not going to be as positive. And unfortunately, all of the talk in the offseason was about Spencer Rattler and what he was going to be able to do for this offense. There are some players around him. Jaheim Bell is an absolute, you're going to know the name Jaheim Bell by the end of the season, a guy that plays tight end, but can play yeah. running back and line up at wide receiver. A lot of uh, skill versatility in the skill set, like, like Kyle Pitts a couple years ago. But unfortunately, Spencer Rattler is going to be limited because their offensive line is not very good. I mean, you, you saw time and time again, him having to evade pressure, him having to make throws on the run, which he did, him getting sacked. Uh, uh, it's, it's, it's frustrating for quarterbacks and for receivers when the quarterback can't take his steps and throw the football on time. And, and that's unfortunately what you're going to see this season. You know, everybody was excited about all five starters coming back, but sometimes, you know, that's not necessarily a great thing. And I think that's kind of where we are with South Carolina this season. All right, Kentucky, you know, you know, we're captains of the fan club over here. But, C.D., what do you know about Kentucky right now? What I know is their offensive line is not what we're used to seeing from the big blue wall. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a flimsy version of the big blue wall up front because what do we know about Mark Stoops? He wants to play great defense, and he wants to run the football. They could not run the football at all the other night against Miami of Ohio. Uh, they also didn't protect very well. Will Levis is an elite quarterback in this conference, and he's going to be limited because of the pressure he's under. The biggest thing that stands out to me, though, Hester, about the inability to run what does Rich, Rich, uh, Rich Gangarella want to do? It's throw off the success of the run. It's play-action pass. Right. It's taking vertical shots like Liam Cohen did last year because they're able to run the football and you get one-on-one -on -one coverage. They're not going to be able to have those, uh, those opportunities as much if they can't do what they, they, they are built around, and that's running the football. I know Chris Rodriguez is out. you got a couple other guys banged up in that backfield, but it all starts up front with the ability to run and the ability to protect your passer, neither of which they did consistently on Saturday night. Yeah, so we're both presidents of the Kentucky Football Fan Club, but when they're playing your Gators, you decide to turn your back on them and talk bad about them. That's okay. <laughs> if that's what you want to do, fine. It's okay. I'm not going to do it. 
because Tavion Robinson did his best Wandell Robinson impersonation on Saturday, six for 136. First play of the I game. They get the ball in his hands first play of the game, and, and you see what he's able to do. It was like a nice uh, foreshadowing of what was It was. Come. Look, that was one of the biggest question marks. Who's going to replace Wondell Robinson? Look, he was a transfer from Nebraska. They go to Virginia Tech, and they get a transfer. Same last yep. name. A lot of the same production in week one. He's got to show up massive in the swamp here for week two in a game we're about to get to. But for me, Tavion Robinson, that was the thing that I walked away. Okay, this guy can make plays. He's a playmaker, and it's exactly what Will Levis needed. All right, so in Hold My Beer, we had CD talking about Anthony Richardson and Billy Napier. Curious to see where he goes here. But, Hess, we'll start with you. Last call, week one on the Gators. What do we know about him? The fans are locked back in. And that was a question mark for me, okay, because there's been so many ebbs and flows, peaks and valleys, whatever you want to use for Florida. And that is when it's rocking, it's one of the better venues in the entire country. We all know that. We've all been to that venue. We've played games in that venue. And we know when it's at its peak. And it was at its peak on Saturday night. It's going to be at its peak again this Saturday. And it is a real advantage. Like, I was fortunate enough to play at a place that home field advantage meant something. CD, the place that we're talking about is where you played your home games. It is a real juice factor. And if you can get that type of crowd and that type of enthusiasm, because, you know, last year did not go the way that you wanted it to. You fired Dan Mullen. You've got a new coach. You're just, you're, you never really know what the buy in's going to be. The buy in was there. It was an electric atmosphere. It's going to be the same, as I mentioned this week against Kentucky. The biggest thing that, that I take from that, because CD mentioned Anthony Richardson and Billy Napier, and I agree with everything he said. But Florida and the fan base and the juice into that program is back. Yeah, no, it was nice to see them show up the way that they did and handle their portion. Everybody has responsibility. If you're going to have a winning program, the players got to do their part. The coaches got to do their part. The fans got to show up and support in the way that they did on Saturday. Uh, For me, I'm going to go again a little negative here. Defensive line is the Achilles heel of this Florida football team, and it could be a problem. You saw the second half, Utah went with some of their 12 personnel packages and just ran the ball right at Florida, getting a good push up front, picking up five, six yards a clip. Uh, Florida was deficient on the defensive line last year. I think if you go back and look last month, there was a string of about a week or two where Florida was picking up four-star defensive line commitment after the next four-star defensive line commitment. Part of the reason being that's where the big deficiency is. So uh, this year, you're going to have to do the best with what you got. They have a couple guys, you know, Brent Cox, when he's doing his job, is is uh, really good. Uh, Javon Dexter, I think, still can get better, but has the, the size and quickness you need. But they don't have the depth that you need. I think that's where you're going to see it manifest itself as in the second half of some of these SEC ball games where teams are going to have success getting a push, and Florida's going to struggle to get some, some penetration, uh, a pass rush out of their front four. Real quick before we move on, Big Turp. You also played one of the teams that pushes people around better than any team in the country in Utah. Now, Kentucky's another physical matchup, so we'll see. But I will say Utah does it as well as anyone. So the defensive line might have gone against maybe their toughest challenge as yeah. far as what they're going to get as far as push and 12 personnel tight ends and all that. So great point by you, but we'll see if they're able to handle someone you, else when they play another You do opponent. realize they, they play Georgia later in the season, right? I mean, I think Georgia's defensive line would have a word with you about maybe playing the best or labeling Utah as the best that they'll play. Well, I'm talking about just all, on both lines of scrimmage. I'm, and I'm more talking about Utah and their offensive line and 12 personnel and all the tight ends that they use. And you mentioned the defensive line. I'm just saying. Well, I'm sorry. Like I just U- meant both lines of scrimmage that, that right. Georgia but that, has. But that, I mean, U- that Utah offensive line and those tight ends yeah. and those 12 personnel and all of that, 
look, Georgia, Georgia's got an elite one, but so does Utah. So, I mean, that was a tough test right out of the opening gates and they're going to, you know, maybe not a, the same test that we thought, but we'll see against Kentucky in the game that we'll get into in a little bit. Yeah. All right. Wrap up the sec East here, Georgia 49, three complete domination, complete domination over Oregon. Turns out 16 and a half points was just not enough. 45 would not have been enough. Uh, but CD, what do you know about Georgia? Those Georgia recruiting classes, those those guys that hadn't played yet, they're, they're, they're just plug-and-play guys. Like, they looked the part. They have the same skill sets. We don't know their names. We know their names a little more now. But, like, I thought it was going to be a couple weeks for them to get up to speed. I thought it was going to be a drop-off from what was a generational unit that we got a chance to watch last year for that Georgia championship defense. Uh, they looked exactly the same. Has I mean, I know – Christopher Smith made an interception that looked a lot like his from last year, but there were a lot of other plays from guys being made that we didn't necessarily know their names very well. Uh, Malachi Starks made a tremendous play in, in the secondary on that interception. Um, I, I just, I, I, I was shocked at how good the defense was. And I thought it was going to be a team that was taking a step back because of, of all the production they lost from last year. But clearly that's not the case. What I know about Georgia, they're the best team in the country. Nobody impressed me more than Georgia did last week. And this is not a slight at Alabama because I think Alabama is a, you know, 1B team in the country. And I realized they dominated 55 to nothing, but you are the champion. And what do we always talk about? Like in a title fight, you got to knock the champion out. The yep. champion didn't even get touched in that game against a number 11 ranked Oregon football team that they beat so bad. They fell from 11 to out of the top 25. That's how bad that game was. Georgia was as dominant as dominant can be. Do you think they are as bad as they looked or you think Georgia no. just made them look worse than what they actually are? You don't return 15 starters from an, uh, a 10 win team and a, a guy in Bo Nix who's played a lot of football. There's been ups and downs, but he's played a lot of football. You don't you know, look, you just, you don't look like that returning who they returned from a 10-win team. That was because yeah. of Georgia and not about Oregon. All right, SEC Perfect. West, let's move on. Uh, you got to eat your veggies. You got to get the bad before the good here. LSU, what do we know about LSU, Hess? <laughs> How long we got? <laughs> uh, it just it wasn't what I expected. And I said eight and four this year for LSU. So to their standards, that, that's extremely low. Right, because they're a championship robust type program and they should be winning three national championships, playing for four in the last 20 years. But I expected them to come out and have all the little things perfected because I know what that coaching staff has been preaching. I know how that coaching staff coaches. I've been over and I, I know what the practices look like compared to what they've looked like in the past. And that's not even throwing shade at anybody because you've had the last three coaches win national championships, but it was almost like they made sure everything was covered right leading into that game. And to see them have the penalties, the muff punts, the block kicks, um, the struggles on the offensive line tackles, just opening up the gate, allowing rushers to go right to Jaden Daniels. Like I just didn't expect it to look like that. Not even the loss, but the way that they lost, that was a thing that I wasn't expecting so I was shell-shocked when I saw them play and not the attention to detail that I know is a point of emphasis for this coaching staff. What I know uh, is, is a little more specific. Uh, you, you mentioned it amongst that rant that you put together, but the offensive line is an absolute dumpster fire. And perhaps we should have known this with all the talk in the offseason of 
oh, it, it's probably going to be Jaden Daniels because of his running ability and what they'll need to do because of some of the offensive challenges that the the line is going to present. Dude, they were bad. And and you know, from the from the first play of the game, I know you got a true freshman left tackle, but he gets pushed into the bat into the quarterback's face right off the get-go. You got a guy playing center that hadn't played there before, snapping the ball over the head of the quarterback to to prevent, you know, what was a promising drive in the opening possession yeah. for LSU. You got, you know, your guards what transferred from FIU and East Tennessee State. That doesn't sound like the kind of pedigree that that LSU typically, you know, has when they when they're talking about the offensive line. So I just I don't think it's going to get any better. I don't know what you can do. And I'm with you. I thought, you know, after looking at the the six and a half or seven win total that, that Vegas had for LSU, I thought they were going to win eight, nine games, maybe 10 because of the effect that, uh, that, uh, you know, that, that the coaching staff was going to have on on the team. But I look now at the schedule. There's not a sure win on that SEC schedule. Hess. With that offensive line deficiency, if you, I don't think they can get it much better. And there's not one that I look at and say, all right, they're going to win this game for sure. Yeah, and, and we could sit here and we could talk about the talent that they have. I mean, they were bad the last two years and still found ways to pick up big victories. Beating Florida the last two years with with bad teams and having a <laughs> chance. Oh, sorry. Up. Wait, what? <laughs> hey, I, I didn't go through nine to the last 12, seven to the last nine, four to the last five, three in a row. I didn't go through the whole spiel, okay? But you know what I'm saying? Like, they, they've got the talent. They had the yeah. second most guys drafted. You Like, you can't go beat – and I know last year's Florida team, but two years ago, that was a damn good Florida team. And you yeah. found a way to beat them in the swamp. Like, it's it's not a talent issue, but you got to – you just got to put it all together because that offensive line, man, you play like that against Mississippi State in two weeks, and they're going to feast on your quarterback. doesn't matter how good Jaden Daniels is running the yep. football. So you got to get that fixed or I'm right there with you. It's going to be a long, long year in Baton Rouge. And it might already, you know, be to the standard, but still you go out there and you won eight games and you're eight and four, four and four in SEC play year one. A lot of people, you know, would take that and they'd move on to the progression of the next year, but you, you got to build something pretty quickly if you want to get to that point. All right. Auburn 42 Mercer 16. Always interesting to see what you can take away from games like this in week one, but uh, uh, CD, what do we know about Auburn? Uh, quarterback's going to be an e- a bigger issue than what we thought it was going to be. You know, I, 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 I thought it was going to be manageable, but it, it looked less than manageable to me. You know, whether you're talking about TJ Finley, we didn't even see Zach Calzada. I, I was shocked that he's the third guy on that depth chart after transferring in from Texas A&M. Uh, you got the young guy who, Probably was going to be really good, but has some some limitations uh, at this point in his career. I just has I, I don't know what they're going to be able to do with that type of of quarterback play. And again, like LSU's offensive line, I don't see the quarterback play for Auburn getting much better either. No, I mean TJ Finley in this contest just did not look in sync. And then you bring in Ashford, who who's got obviously a different skill set and. There's something probably you could scheme up there. I mean, he had six for 68 on the ground. And, and if you're going to struggle at that position, uh, I would assume that you start to give the dual threat guy a, a bigger package because he at least can do multiple yeah. things. And so that's going to be interesting to see this week. So I'm with you. The thing I know is they have bad quarterback play right now. And I also know that Tank Bixby was locked in, which is good to see if you're an Auburn fan. Last year, he had a, a good year, but he's great. He's a great football player. Like he should have had a better year than he had a year ago because I hold him to a very high standard. He's one of the best running backs in the country, in my opinion. He showed out 16 for 147, two touchdowns in that game against Mercer. And 
having him back is is a key key piece but you've got to get something more from the quarterback position and it might come from ashford it might come from the oregon transfer who gives you at least multiple options all right old miss 28 troy 10 jackson dart not started i believe the terminology was jackson dart went first we're going to see luke <laughs> altmeyer go first this week so that's still up in the air but Hess, one week in, what do we know about Ole Miss? Uh, I think Zach Evans is as advertised. I think that was a big takeaway. And I know I'm going cliche going back to my position here, but he was a player coming over from TCU that was really a crown jewel of a transfer class. And when you're breaking in a new quarterback, having Zach Evans to be able to turn around and hand the ball off to, I thought that was huge. But real I mean, really more importantly, like when you look at the team efficiency running the football, I thought they had a big day, 44 rushes. Uh, you know, that's a lot of, of running the football in, in, you know, what we all assume is a lane kiff and like spread them out, let, like, you know, throw the football, Matt Corral, the whole deal. 266 yards, three touchdowns on the ground. Uh, so I thought Zach Evans, the running back room, they're going to be able to create mismatches in the run game, but with that being said, they've got to get a little bit better quarterback play to be able to open up all those rushing lanes. Because if you don't, what are people going to do? You're going to put an extra defender in the box, and you're not going to be able to have that success. So the quarterback play, I still think, has to go up in Oxford. Yeah, I'm going to expound on what you mentioned as it relates to Zach Evans. I think that that quarterback, or excuse me, the running back room as a whole may be the best in the conference, maybe one of the best in the country, too. You, you throw in there uh, Quinchon Judkins, the, the freshman, yeah. Ulysses Bentley, the fourth, uh, transferred in as well. So they have a lot of talent. And I think there's a misconception by people, maybe uh, football fans in this conference and around the country. Th this offense is not a, like you said, wide open spread out. They, it's predicated on running the football. It's kind of like Missouri and drink. Like you yeah, just they're, assume they're, they're going to run the football. And, yeah. um, you know, I think that's the, this, this group, this, this three headed monster there could be uh, the answer that you're looking for to maybe take some of the pressure off the quarterback because you lose Matt Corral, who did it all, including, you know, the big contributions in the run game. These three can, can certainly help ease whoever ends up winning that job into uh, more experience as they, the season wears on. Let's stay in the same state, Mississippi state with a nice win over Memphis that went late into the night because of some weather CD, what do we know about Mississippi State? The offense is hitting its stride, Hess. I mean, this this is an offense. Remember, I, I think back, it, it wasn't too long ago. In fact, you know, LSU is going to host Mississippi State for the first time since KJ Costello lit them up <laughs> for, you know, a record-setting passing performance. And then one or two games later, you know, Barry Odom drops eight into coverage, and everybody thinks that you got the solution for how you stop the Mike Leach offense. Uh, well, that's not the case. What happened was you had a lot of young guys that were playing for the first time in the system that didn't necessarily understand the nuances of the system. Now you're seeing these guys with a lot more experience. They're still young in age, but they're experienced within this offense. And yards after a catch is a huge part of, of what the air raids founded on. You got to be able to take a five-yard catch and turn it into a 10-yard gain. And you're seeing that happen. One, because the players, the receivers are able to feel where they're supposed to sit down in, in, in zones or what to do when they're running away from man coverage. But it's also the ball placement, the accuracy. Will Rogers, probably the most underrated quarterback in this conference, threw the ball 49 times, completed 78% of his, his passes. But you look at the ball placement, it's always in the right spot and it's always allowing his ball catcher to turn the ball up and make yards after the catch. 
Uh, mine's going to be pretty quick here. Um, Will Rogers is one of the best quarterbacks in the country. He showed out. He showed up. He's not just a system quarterback. He is a guy that can go out and beat your favorite team. You better go ahead and know when you play Mississippi State, it's going to be a dogfight. Will Rogers is a dude. He is a guy that can go win a football game. He's got all the talent that you need. He's highly efficient. And when you look at his arm strength, I think he, you know, kind of trumps some of the quarterbacks that Mike Leach has had in his yeah. career as far as arm strength, arm talent, that whole deal, right? This is not just a system quarterback. He's one of the best quarterbacks in the country. All right, A&M 31, Sam Houston State 0. Another weather delay in this one coming out of halftime. But, Hess, what do we know about the Aggies? I think we know that they're still trying to figure out their identity on offense a little bit. Like, when I look at, at Haynes King, he had two turnovers. And when I look at the receivers, like, Anaya Smith is like, gosh, I just love the way he plays football. And he is a great tool to have in your tool bag. But you're still trying to figure out, I think, who you are. You're trying to figure out what you want to be. And it was a little clunky at times. And it was it's game one. And you, you won 31 to nothing. You didn't give up any points. But it's a little clunky. And I think Jimbo's trying to figure out exactly what his identity is going to be. Because I think it's going to change a little bit because of their personnel. Like, you're still waiting on one of the, you know, big-time recruit receivers to step up and step out. Like, you went to Anaya Smith because you know you can trust him. You can count on him. But I think they're still trying to figure out what their identity is. And they're trying to figure out what they can really specialize in. And they got to get it figured out pretty quickly because here in two weeks, they've got Miami and Tyler Van Dyke, who's as good as any quarterback in the country, coming to town. They've got a you know tough matchup with App State this week as well. So you got an opportunity to work on it. But I still think they need to figure out exactly who they want to be offensively, at least have a game plan to try to specialize in it. I'm going to go on the other side of the ball, Hess. Um, I was questioning what this Texas A&M defense was going to look like with the production that was lost from last year's squad, from Mike Elko leaving to take a head coaching job. Clearly, this is a defense that's in good hands. You know, you saw a lot of of, of younger guys. You, you know the names of of some of those freshmen that, that are playing from last year's class, uh, Walter Nolan out there. Shamar Stewart, but you look at some of these other guys that have been around maybe one or two years that we don't know about Shamar Turner, one of those guys, Fidel Diggs. There are a lot of really good football players on that side of the ball. And so while the offense wasn't necessarily up to, up to the, uh, the expectation that we had for them, I thought the defense did everything they could, including showing throwing a, a shutout against Sam Houston state. Now, obviously the competition will get better, but I think these young guys will get better as the season wears on as well. All right, we briefly touched on it at the end of Hold My Beer, but Arkansas with a huge season-opening win over Cincinnati. CD, what do we know about the Hogs? I think for me, it's it's bumper pool. You know, again, one of the questions I had about Arkansas's defense was how do you replace Hayden Henry and Grant Morgan? Well, it's one of the guys that was in that room along with those other linebackers the last couple of years. Bumper pool had 13 tackles, including one for loss. He does a great job of coordinating the defense, the quarterback of that side of the ball. Uh, Bumper Pool has the he, – he's got the looks. He's got the smile. He, he's got the, 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 the talk. Uh, he's a great face for the program, and I think he's a great fit for Barry Odom's defense. My saying for Arkansas this year, and this is a term of endearment because you all know me, too gritty to be pretty is going to be the term that I use <laughs> for Arkansas because – it's going to look different, I think, every game. It might not look the flashiest, but they're going to find a way. 
They're going to find a way to compete in every single game, no matter the opponent this year. I truly believe that. And it might be running the ball with Sanders. It might be running the ball with KJ Jefferson. It might be through the air with Jefferson. Like, I mean, I mean, Knox from the tight end position, like they, they all had big moments in this game and it might look completely different in the next game. And I mean, as a compliment, because it's not going to matter how it gets done or who does it. It's just going to get done because mm-hmm. that's, that's, that's what they've embodied there in Fayetteville under Sam Pittman. So for me and bumper pull, all name teams been doing it for a long time. I, I thought he was great yet again. He was at sec media day. One of my favorite guys to interview when we were there, love everything that they did in this game. This is a damn good Cincinnati team that they played as well. This Cincinnati team might not be an underdog in another game they play this year. I mean, yep. they're that good. So for me, Arkansas, the grit is going to show all season long, and it showed in this game against Cincinnati. All right, let's close it out. Alabama, 55, Utah State, zero, roll, damn, tied. Hess, what do you know about this Alabama team? I know they're damn good. (laughs) I know that they have the best player on offense and the best player on defense in the country. I know that they've got weapons all over the place. I know that they've got Jermaine Burton looking like he is as interested in playing a football game as he's ever looked. I mean, they just, they rinse, wash, repeat. I mean, they just, it over and over again, doesn't matter who it is. That is a culture and that is a staff and that is a process that has been put into place that you can plug and play. You can lose guys and it just doesn't matter. And they're going to go out there and they're going to win 55 to nothing over a team that won 11 games last year. Mine is specific to the, the defense. And I know sometimes in this business, we overuse words like elite. Uh, I overuse, it seems like I overuse the, the phrase generational units because we've seen it like the 2019 uh, LSU offense, the 2020 Alabama offense, the 2021 Georgia defense. Those were elite units to me. And I think this uh, Alabama defense has a chance to be in that same category. Uh, you look at Will Anderson and Dallas Turner coming off of opposite edges. Like, how do you choose where to slide your protection? How do you choose who to double team? It's going to leave some opportunities for some. I, I would imagine you want to take care of Will Anderson first and foremost. So I think Dallas Turner could have a, a huge year this year. That Utah State team, they may not be a power five school, but they're, they've been impressive in recent years offensively. And Alabama completely took them out of the game and, and, and into, you know, one of the, the two shutouts in, in our conference this weekend. So I'm excited to see what they do against Texas. And I know that uh, Quinn Ewers is having some nightmares this week in preparation for that defense. Yeah. Not only trying to park for a game, but also knowing he has a face of Will Anderson <laughs> coming up this weekend. So it's a great transition. We're going to throw it back to our guy, big Terp. Here's what we're going to do in this segment. We have got a loaded week two slate. Big Terp's going to give us a game, and we're going to give you our thoughts on the game. And we're going to, you know, in in the show, recapping our best bets, unfortunately. Yeah, we'll we'll get to last week's best bets. But I'm going to throw my my first best bet out right now because I want to get it in before the line moves anymore. To give me Alabama laying the three touchdowns. Alabama is going to – you in on that? Let, let's load up. Alabama's going to destroy Texas. And I know there's a lot of different storylines, particularly Steve Sarkeesian going against uh, the team that he used to be the offensive coordinator for. Texas is on the rise. I think they're they're going to be better. They're not ready for prime time yet. They're not ready for this Alabama defense that we just talked about. They're not ready for what, you know, what you're going to see from throwing the football with Bryce Young, finding those receivers to step up and fill the void of, of Mechie and Williams. I, I I just think this is the game they've been pointing to. And it's going to be an absolute beatdown. Uh, 
I'm with CD. So everything he just said, I think we can just go ahead and cut and clip and put it out there as far as what we think about that game, because I'm in the same thought process at Alabama minus 20, nothing against Texas, but Nick has his teams ready to play games like this better than any coach in America. They're going to be ready. The stage will certainly not be too big for Alabama and they'll find a way. They will find a way to find motivation for this game, even as a three touchdown favorite. And, you know, it's important for Texas to show up and to stay in this game, but I just don't think they can with the firepower of Alabama. I like Sark. I think Sark's the right guy. They will be there eventually, just not right now. Alabama is going to roll in this one. And, with that, I'll throw it to Big Terp to go through some rapid fire on the other games because that's just what that game is. Yeah, man. I mean, we're pregame in week two. And if you if you take a poll of, I don't know, 100 people, 100 fans, and you say, what's the best game on the schedule? You're probably going to get a lot of Alabama-Texas answers just because the brand name of all of the games we're about to hit, that spread is the biggest. So mm-hmm. Vegas is saying that will be the least interesting of yeah. the games that we're going to hit. So why don't we work our way down in terms of spread numbers? That is a 20. CD, you actually get that at 20, not even 21. So if it's three Thank touchdowns, you. you are in the clear. Winner, you as well. checks. You, you co-signed yes. on Wednesday afternoon. Um, why don't we go to the game that's an 18-point spread, and that's Texas A&M over App State, who just dropped 61 points against our boy Chiz's defense last Saturday. But A&M, App State, early thoughts? What do we got? So App State, man, who heartbreak city. You play a game like that, you fall just short. You know, how can they bounce back? They're a big-time program. I don't care what conference they're in. Are they going to be able to bounce back emotionally from a loss like that? They have in the past. It's a lot of points against a really good team. I can see it being a 14-point game, and so I'm not ready to give like a pick against the spread right now. But I know App State will, in, in a very tough spot, a lot of teams couldn't do it. They'll be able to bounce back, and they'll give Texas A&M a fight. It's a great test for Texas A&M. It's exactly what Texas A&M needs before they face Miami the 17th. That's a lot of points, though, you know, and I'm not going to put it as one of my best bets yet, but I would probably be inclined to take App State getting that many points, not only because they're they're feisty and you know the, 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 the fight that they typically have, but look at that Texas A&M offensive line. They were banged up last week. I don't know what the status is of, of that group, but they were missing a couple of their returning starters from last year, had some guys go down in the game. I just don't feel good enough about where they are right now offensively as a whole and specifically on the line to lay that many points against a, an established, you know, upstart group of five type program. All right. Pac-12 after dark is coming to the SEC this week, people. We got an 11 p.m. Eastern time kickoff. Mississippi State going out there to Tucson. Mississippi State favored by 11 points after that dominant win over Memphis. CD, what are you seeing here? I'm seeing another beatdown. And uh, again, I'm not committing this to the the best bet, but I I like this uh, Mike Leach team. I've liked them from the preseason. You you know I've been one that's talked about Mississippi State as being a team that I could see making a big improvement from last year to this year. And it has a lot to do with what we talked about earlier with the offense's rhythm, with their understanding of the system, with the trigger man, Will Rogers, but it also has to do with their defense too. That, that Memphis team last year, remember they, they, they beat Mississippi state. It wasn't yeah. competitive this week. And a lot of it had to do uh, with what they were able to do in, in defense and, and uh, taking away uh, any hope of, of Memphis being competitive. So I, I, I like, uh, I, I'm not buying that this, everybody's talking about this big improvement for Arizona. I'm not buying that that's the case, but I am buying that uh, that Mike Leach in year three 
is a phenomenal uh, coach and has a tra track record of uh, a lot of success. Arizona one and eleven last year, major victory for them against San Diego State, a team that went twelve and two and beat Utah a year ago and returned a bulk of that team. It was in San Diego State's brand new stadium. They've been waiting on that for a long time. So great victory for an Arizona team that really just completely revamped their roster. They got Washington State's quarterback and had a very nice game, again, against San Diego State. But if anybody knows how to handle Pac-12 after dark, it's Mike Leach. Yeah. Mike Leach will find a way to make that work. Mississippi State, highly impressive last week. They'll be impressive again this week. I fully expect the Arnett defense to go out there, the front seven to be too much, and them to dominate as well as Will Rogers to dominate. So I like the Bulldogs in that one as well. I've already talked about an SEC Big 12 matchup, an SEC Pac-12 matchup. Let's go SEC-ACC. Wake Forest, Vanderbilt. Uh, the news came out on Tuesday that Sam Hartman was cleared to play. I looked at my book, and it was Wake Forest minus 10. I wanted to do it, but I didn't because I'm a coward. It is now 13. We're going to see where it's at at kickoff. Hold but, on. What did you want to do? You wanted to take Wake Forest? Or you want to take Vanderbilt? Yeah, I wanted to take Wake uh, Forest don't be a minus bitch, 10. I, That's no. why I did it. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I did it. We're all in on Vandy right now. Uh, I don't need that. The, the, I'll, dude, I'll take that many points. Even if Sam Hartman returns, he's been out for a couple weeks. I mean, do you think he's going to hit the ground running here? I'm I'm willing to bet on. So you must love thirteen then. I, no, definitely. I mean, I'll take. I, I think again, there's this idea of what Vandy has been in the past in the public and what they are this year. I believe is different. Now it's only two games in Hess, and I don't want to get two carries mm -hmm. away. But I would be inclined to potentially take that. Let's see as it gets closer. I mean, could you imagine we? Uh, Throwing Vandy out there is one of our best bets. I don't know if that's ever happened in the history of the, the long history of pregame in the SEC. Oh, man, look, this is a time for you to shine. You're 2-0. Oh, you've gotten off to a great start. Yes, Wake Forest is a team that played in the ACC championship game. They return a bulk of that team. Sam Hartman potentially coming back this week. We'll see exactly what that rotation looks like. Griffiths played really well for them in week one. But you're at home. Vanderbilt fans show up. Please show up. Don't allow it to become one of those situations where Wake has more fans than you. This is a moment. Go support Clark Lee. Go support yeah. your team, right? Go out there and expect to compete in a game like this. And so, Vanderbilt, I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt. I don't know if you win. Go cover this game. Make it competitive. Be a team <laughs> that can play games like this because you've done great so far in two weeks. Go make it three in a row. Vanderbilt fans, one last time, just show up. Uh, Vanderbilt has appeared in our best bets one time. I'm, I'm pretty sure if I recall correctly that both of you guys were on Missouri Vanderbilt under last year. And yeah. that's the game. Ty Tyler Beatty ran for 254 yards and two touchdowns, including a long of 73. Wasn't that right before the half or before the either way? It yeah. was just an absolute nightmare that of an under. That was the game where the iconic soundbite about the Halloween candy that Mike Leach uh, prefers came from, I believe, in the post game. Right? Was that is that uh, right for Halloween, Big Turp? Yes, it was. That that was. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and that was forty-five yard touchdown from Basilak to Kiki Chisholm at the buzzer of half. Yeah. It was everything going against us that could possibly go against us for an under. Yeah. Um, that 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 serves us right under. Under betters are like the the guys that'll bet the do not pass line on the crap table. <laughs> like you're just not a team guy. You, yeah, you don't, you're you know, not. You, you you need to question 
yeah. where your life is. Yeah, well. you don't want to be great. You just want to be average. Yeah, that's who bets the under. <laughs> so, yeah, it's a completely rip off a quote from Big Cat. Life's too short to bet the under. That's All right, let's let's go back to SEC Big 12, formerly a Big 12, Big 12 matchup. Missouri, Kansas State. This is a pretty interesting one. Uh, I believe it opened at eight and it's at seven and a half right now. Kansas State, seven and a half. Mm-hmm. Kansas State's damn good. Deuce Vaughn's a stud. Uh, Adrian Martinez in his 37th season in college football yeah. as a quarterback there. That's a team. Like I saw him play a depleted LSU team in the Texas Bowl last year, but they were impressive just with the structure of their program, the way they run their program. Um, drinking in Mizzou was highly impressive in uh, week one against Louisiana Tech. I don't know. Going to Little Manhattan, this could be a tough one for Mizzou. We're, you know, we'll kind of see how – the game plan plays out, but Kansas State, man, SEC fans need to know this is a pretty good football team. I was surprised, though, with Brady Cook in, in week one, like pleasantly surprised. I didn't know he was athletic as as he looked to be and his ability to run the football and that that uh, touchdown that he scrambled for. Um, and I, I, I think I don't know about seeing them win the football game, but I do think they could stay within that. That would you say it was eight big turf? Yeah. It's eight. It's it's bounced seven back and, and forth, seven and a half and eight. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll take the points in that. But you're right. Kansas State, well coached, uh, has has kind of been under the radar nationally. But I think that um, you know, it, it's a tough place to play. I don't know if you've ever been to a game there or not, but I called one. It's uh, it's unique from the the perspective yeah. of the dynamics of having to get there, where you stay. You know, it's it's uh, it's different. But I think I trust our guy Drink to stay within the eight. You know, I mean, it seems like reasonable uh wager but not not one of the best bets so has yeah i'm with you i completely agree all right three games left here and two are sec sec matchups we'll save those for last uh let's go to the uh second rendition of the johnny majors classic tennessee pit we saw that matchup last year in knoxville 41 34 to pit but obviously they had kenny pickett they had jordan addison keaton slovis this year kind of a new look pit roster what are we thinking here the number Six and a half in favor Hess. of Tennessee. Hess. Wild. Hey, hey, best bet. Best bet right now. Tennessee, put put me down for the Vols with my Alabama play. Parlay it. Put it in a re- action reverse. Tease those together. I love both mm. of those as part of my best bets. And I'm giving these to you early in the week this week. Mm, mm, okay. Uh, oof. I I don't know. I don't know if I can go with you on this did, one. Did Pitt, you're Pitt, going. You thought they were impressive on Saturday? And, or, or dude, I mean, look, it was week Thursday? one in a rivalry game, backyard brawl. You're breaking in a new quarterback, Pat Narduzzi. I, look, that's a coach I respect the hell out of. And, and I do as well with Josh Heupel. I, oof, I just don't know if I can give a best bet. I mean, six and a half, and you're the road team in, in an environment that's going to be bananas. Pitt won this game in Knoxville last year. Um, All the more reason. I don't know. It's payback I, time, baby. Oh, uh, yeah. Okay. I'm not there yet. I am not there yet to put it in my best I'll bet. work on it. I'm not, I'm not there yet to think that Tennessee can win this one just yet. I think it's just two really good football teams. I think Pitt did what they had to do in the backyard brawl to win that game. Keaton Slover still threw for over 300 yards. Now, Pitt's got to be able to run the football better. They returned their three leading rushers and their entire offensive line and couldn't run the ball. If that happens in this game, Tennessee does cover. So I'm not ready to give a pick on this game just yet. I'm intrigued by this game. Two completely different styles of football. Pitt wants to slow it down, run the football, clock management, and Tennessee's like, hey, 
let's go NASCAR the entire game. I love, so love the clash very, of very styles different there. identities. Yeah, it's gonna be fun to watch for sure. But I, I'm uh, I'm committed there, Hugh. I got two two in the books so far for my best bets this week. You heard it. Everybody heard it. 2.22 p.m. Eastern time. My man has six and a half. So if this moves up to seven, seven and a half, eight, I don't want to hear Locked in. when we put it out okay. on inevitably Saturday morning on Twitter. He's got six and a half. Fair uh, enough. Ha- has Shoot. Hey, we'll, we're we'll the cusp of being able there. to get this out on Friday with a, uh, you know, I already yeah. got two up here. So yeah. we're getting, all right. I'm proud right. of you. This is great. Look at us. All right, let's go uh, SEC-SEC matchup. South Carolina, Arkansas. I'm sure uh, South Carolina fans are getting a little Darren McFadden PTSD seeing this matchup. But let's go minus eight and a half in favor of Arkansas. Razorbacks, Gamecocks. Hess, what you got? Arkansas wins, but I don't know if they cover. I think South Carolina is going to grow from uh, week one to week two. Things going to be massive growth there, I think. On the offensive line is going to be growth. I think Spencer Rattler is going to have growth. I think Arkansas, again, too gritty to be pretty. That's my motto for them all season long. They find a way. I don't know if I can get to the eight and a half. Coming off a physical game, and they had to you know, play the full 60 minutes. They had to close that game out. And so there's going to be some lingering effects from that game. Again, they win. South Carolina, though, is going to bring their lunch pail to this game. They are coming with a purpose. Shane Beamer is going to have that Gamecocks team ready to play. I think it's going to be a hell of a game. Looking forward to this game, but I don't know if Arkansas covers. I want to see what Marcus Satterfield can do offensively to overcome the challenges of, of what their offensive line deficiencies present. Uh, it's going to be a tough test going up against Barry Odom's front seven. I, 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 I just don't know how well they're going to be able to protect Spencer Rattler. What I'd like to see, Hess, is I'd like to see them move him out of the pocket more. I think he's effective on the run. I think he's effective on, on boots and nakeds. So I'd like to be able to see some of that in an effort to help out the offensive line a little bit. Uh, but at the end of the day, I, I think Arkansas wins this game. If, if South Carolina wants to be an improved team, which I think they are an improved team, but if they want it to reflect in the win-loss column, they've got to win this game because I, I see I, I see this as a game that um, is winnable given the production that was lost from Arkansas's team last year. I, I still am not 100% in on the, the Hogs yet, even though I love you know Sam Pittman and the culture he's created. But I do think this is one that, that probably is uh, going to go Arkansas's way, just my concern about the, uh, the offensive line for South Carolina. All right, best for last, Florida, Kentucky, CD, his internal conflict pick in this game. Five and a half is the number as of right now on Wednesday. Yep. Where are we leaning here? I think that's up from four and a half as well, it wasn't is. it? So the yeah. public uh, driving that number up a little bit. Hester, you went through it last year. You know, you and I have talked about our affinity for Kentucky, how long we've been on the Mark Stoops train. They played against your alma mater last year, and I know it was probably uncomfortable. Uh, obviously, you wanted LSU to win. I want Florida to win. I've already picked Kentucky to win in the preseason, although I do reserve the right to change my pick as we get into game week. Um, I just I have concerns about Kentucky's offensive line. I talked about it earlier. Struggled with with twists, and it, yeah. you know this. Like when you can't generate great pass rush by just lining up one on one. What you have to do is try to create some 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 confusion, and I I, yeah. I I would see Florida being able to to do that against Kentucky this week. No Chris Rodriguez, your running back room is banged up. I think it's going to be a lot on Will Levis, so I'm going to go back and actually pick Florida in this game. Um, I don't know that I would 
bet it as my best bet. And if I was going to bet it, I would certainly try to buy it down a little bit to get it more uh, around a field goal if possible. But uh, this is a game that I think goes Florida's way just because of what I thought was going to be these two teams in the preseason now looks a lot different after one week of, of uh, actual realized play on the field. All right. Because my Twitter mentions are filled with more Gators than anything else in the world. Um, Florida fans have, you know, tried to uh, make sure that I, I have felt their presence over the last week. And so I'm going to continue that because I guess, you know, why not? Let's continue while we're hot and I'm going with Kentucky. Mm-hmm. To win out, I'm going with I'm going with Kentucky. So that I, I think would, this got to be a best bet for you. Then, if you're picking them to win outright, then you need to take the five and a half and make it a best. Okay, bet. sure. Why not? I don't care. Commit. Hey, hey, what Billy Napier say? Scared money don't make money. All right. Well, I'm flipping that <laughs> around. Okay, because I've been on Kentucky. I've been too high on them, and they have to win this game. Yeah. Okay, because you've won two of the last four after losing 31 straight. If you want to go prove where you're at as a program, go win this game. Go to the Swamp. Win this game. Florida just played a hell of a battle with Utah. One of the most physical football games I've ever heard on a broadcast. I heard every pad pop in that game. You had an easy game with Miami of Ohio that you easily covered. Okay, Take advantage of what they had to do last week. Try to be the more physical football team. And if you want, again, to change the narrative, like Mark Stoops got right, uh, got mad, and I think rightfully so at Coach Cal for calling it a basketball school and the way that he handled that, go show why you have made it now a school that cares about football just as much. This is a real opportunity, CD. you got to take these because if you, don't, if you want to stop getting patted on the head, being like, oh, that's cute, 10 wins, two years later, oh, that's cute, 10 wins, Go win a damn game like this because it's right there for you. And that's why I'm going to go with Kentucky. I'm trying to impose their will on the Florida Gators because if they don't, then they're not where we thought they were preseason. I just hate that it's a shorthanded Kentucky team without having Chris Rodriguez there, without having – I know. I thought four. that was only one week, so that's a two-week suspension. Yeah, he's not on the depth chart this week, which indicates mm. you know that he's not going to be playing that's in this me- one. So yeah. I, I, but I do want to say something. The re, one of the reasons I picked Kentucky in the preseason was because where this game falls for Florida. Coming off a Utah game that you mentioned, you knew it was going to be physical. Utah has SEC-type lines of scrimmage. Uh, they, they, they like to pound the football with, with Kyle Whittingham. So Florida got every dose of that, and they got a big win. How do you refuel the tank after coming back from a, 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 an emotional win like that? That's the sign of a mature, mature team. You and I have both been on teams that haven't handled success well, and we have been on teams that have handled success well. I'm not sure how this Florida team handles success, but that would be the only thing that would kind of keep me from feeling more confident about the uh, the Florida se- selection in this one. Yeah, last point, this game being at home is massive for them being able to handle another big game. I mean, even a mature team, we beat Florida in 07 at home. The next week, we go on the road to Kentucky, lose that game, right? Being at home is going to be crucial in this contest. Um, You know what? Ah, We're running up against the clock. Best bets. (laughs) I don't think we have to really get into it. CD, he won two two of his three. I uh, went over three. I don't think – look, I got to do off campus like in 10 minutes. Well, here's the thing. I am upset because – you and I had different lines on the Arkansas game. I, I, I want to give you that win because I think you should have got the same number that I got when I sent uh, Big Turp my my uh, my picks. So I don't feel bad about it. I, the only thing I should I, 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 you should feel bad about is is 
tempting me into taking LSU because that was an absolute waste of money right there. I can read that, the text I sent you though about yeah, LSU when you asked me that morning. I can right. read the text about I, I literally said I've never had less of a feel for a football team than I have for yeah, LSU coming. But you into and I season. both put it, we both put them on our. I know we did for some reason we because we're meatheads and we we just assumed. Okay, I did. I assumed, but uh, hey, Fine. shout out to uh, Mike Norvell. I thought his team looked better. I yeah, thought they did. Jordan, uh, Travis, Jordan Travis, tip of the cap, yeah, fantastic he's game. legit for sure. All right, so uh, yeah, just to quickly recap, CD. One, two of his three. I did not win a single best bet. We're here to change that in this upcoming week. So we've got a full slate. We've got a hell of a slate. We've got some matchups that are going to be epic. I cannot wait for Kentucky, Florida, Tennessee, and Pitt. Going to live up to the hype, I feel, as well. In Alabama, if you're an SEC fan, they're going to do everything you want them to do on Saturday. So that's going to be our second episode in the books. And hopefully we come back in week number three and uh, my team actually has a victory because they don't have one and the only one in the SEC. So hopefully we come back next week and LSU's at least got a victory, CD. Let's hope so. Fingers crossed. <laughs> All right, for CD, for Big Turp, that's going to do it for episode two. We will see you next week for episode three of pre-gaming the SEC brought to you by Walk-Ons Sports Bistro. Remember, you can now watch us on YouTube. Go to pre-gaming the SEC Search for it, subscribe. It will show you when we have new clip, a new episode drop there. Also, Apple, Spotify, the whole deal. Anywhere you podcast, you'll find our podcast there as well. We will see you next week.